Repodcasting is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Have you ever watched a movie and wondered why they cast that woman or that guy? Well, here's our chance to give it a try. We're repodcasting. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Repodcasting. I'm Lucia. And I'm Janet. Hi, Janet. How are you doing? Hi, Lucia. How are you? Oh, I'm great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Are you ready? To, when did you watch this movie that we're going to be discussing today? Well, I watched it today. <laughs> Good. So it's fresh in your mind. Yeah. As usual, I uh, put it off until the very last minute, but I had seen it many times. So what movie did you pick for us this month? For anyone who wasn't listening to our <laughs> podcast last month, I selected Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is from 2009, directed by Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. Me too. I don't know. I'm of the Wes Anderson school. I really enjoy his work, and I feel like it's not very popular right. to admit that anymore. I don't know, but I still think he's such a great filmmaker. Yeah, I think for anybody listening who doesn't know us, uh, they just, if they didn't already know, they now know we're white. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yes. Doesn't we Wes Anderson two. feel like a very, like, white people thing to like? <laughs> yes, we are two white ladies who <laughs> enjoy Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. So, yeah, so I selected this movie. Um, I loved this movie and still do. Um, But I was never down with the voice casting of two of the leads. Yeah, I was about to say. I never got into it. Janet, you love a George Clooney movie. Sorry. You love a George Clooney movie. I don't love a George Clooney movie. (laughs) Yeah, in fact, it was funny because I was watching, uh, there was a movie that he did with Ryan Gosling, The Ides of March, and I watched that recently, and I thought to myself, wow, like, that's how much I love Ryan Gosling. I was willing to sit through a George Clooney performance for Ryan Gosling. I love it. Hey, that's a good movie. I liked it. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I was never too into the, the leads. And so that's why I decided to recast. And I thought it would be fun because we have never done an animated feature on the, on the podcast yet. Yeah, I was, I really enjoyed that. Um, it felt like, I don't know, I felt like I had a little more room to play than I normally do when recasting. I love Wes Anderson, too, as we were saying. And I also, this is one of the ones that I just, I thought it was great, right, from the first time I saw it. I saw it with a couple of friends, like, when it first came out on home video, and (laughs) they fell asleep, and I loved it. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, how did it do at the box office? So the budget was $40 and it wasn't exactly a commercial success. It only did forty-six. $0.5 0.5 million at the box office. Um, so even though it was critically, it was very well praised. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was 
Uh, it was nominated for two Oscars as well, Best Animated Feature and Best Original Score, but commercially it didn't do yeah. exceptionally well. I'm surprised to hear those numbers because I read that it didn't recoup its money, but probably that's because I think marketing budgets aren't usually included in the budget numbers. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of sad. I had read it in the context of um, it's a rolled doll like it's based on a rolled doll book and this did poorly. And then the next, like the next rolled doll book that came out on film <laughs> as a film was BFG in 2016. And that also did not recoup its money. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. Well, I did write up a very brief synopsis because I don't know. I felt like there was too much to say. So I went real broad <laughs> Schemer and scammer Mr. Fox tries to settle down and go straight with little success. During his last big hit, he puts his entire community in jeopardy. So um, I feel like <laughs> I feel like when I'm writing these summaries now, I am definitely letting people know my feelings on characters. And even though I love the movie, I don't like Mr. Fox. I think he's charming, apparently, and that's why he always gets his way. And he's a little schemer. Yeah, but he's a fox. <laughs> I know, but that doesn't mean I have to like him <laughs> or have to yeah, accept foxes those. Have that. Why do you think they call them foxes? Like they're, or when people refer to somebody as a fox, right, right. oftentimes it's because they're like sneaky, right? Yeah, definitely. And uh, then I know I don't like foxes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, don't um, have any as pets. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for sharing that. All of us. Okay, well, um, before we go into our casting choices, we will have our first ad break. This episode of Repodcasting is brought to you by the Calgary Foundation, proudly supporting community needs for 65 years. Everyone wants to feel a sense of belonging. Now, more than ever, we are united by a desire to take action and help others by creating a community built on kindness and compassion. From small creative projects to larger citizen-led initiatives, the Calgary Foundation provides grassroots grants to encourage and support people who want to create and strengthen bonds between neighbors and communities. If you've got an idea to improve, enhance, or revitalize your community or neighborhood, visit calgaryfoundation.org to find out more about the Foundation's grant opportunities and visit the Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channel. And now back to the show. So, Janet, as this was your pick, would you like to go first with your recasting? Sure, I'd love to. So I think one of my biggest sort of criticisms of this is that it's the characters are American. It's an American yeah. story. I didn't like that so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone, Lucia, as you know, because you are related to me, uh, you know what an Anglophile I am. Mm -hmm. I love anything that's British, pretty much. <laughs> and I mean, Roald Dahl was a British writer, and I thought that it should have been British yeah. actors, mainly in the in the leads. But I did a little bit of research um, when I was uh, doing my recasting. And, you know, Wes Anderson wrote this 
with Noah Baumbach, right? Yeah. So he sort of defended it. Uh, he said that because they are American, right, they decided to do an American cast. That's what they wanted because they were writing it. So they're American. They wanted to have an American cast. I guess I understand that. Sure. The humans are British. The humans in this movie. Yeah, I know. That, that's sort of what I didn't understand. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That was kind of the the one thing, sort of my one major criticism of it. I would have liked to have seen it like as an all British mm -hmm. cast. So George Clooney as Mr. Fox, I was never really into that. I'm not a George Clooney fan at all. Right. I don't know. I understand that he has that voice, yeah. right? It's very distinctive. And in fact, Wes Anderson even said, like, he always liked him for the role because mm -hmm. he thinks of George Clooney as a heroic actor. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> that kind of made me laugh because that's really the last sort of descriptor that I would ever use for yeah. George Clooney, heroic. However, that's uh, Wes Anderson's point of view. <laughs> and then I thought it was interesting, uh, Wes Anderson always also said, you know, that George Clooney has such a wonderful voice. That was one of the compliments that he paid him. But I think George Clooney's voice is, when I hear that voice, it's like, yeah, he has a wonderful voice for, like, a political news correspondent. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, not for, for something like this. Ooh. It just always seemed to me really off. I cannot wait to hear who you cast. Yeah, so I, I mean, obviously, I went with all, an all-British okay. cast. I had two that I would have liked, um, and I think either one would have been perfect. My first choice was Hugh Grant. Oh, okay. But my second choice was also a Hugh, Hugh Bonneville. Oh. So Hugh Grant, everybody knows who he is, obviously, <laughs> I would think. I really like Hugh Grant's voice. I think he's very expressive. And I think he would have really captured the true essence of who Mr. Fox is. Mm -hmm. He is charismatic, yeah. obviously, right? Both Mr. Fox and Hugh Grant. So I think that would have come through. <laughs> but you also have that, like, Mr. Fox, you get that sense of vanity about him. Yeah. And I think Hugh Grant would have played that really nicely. <laughs> yeah. Hugh Grant, I always get that sense about Hugh Grant as well. Like, you get that vanity that he sort of exudes mm -hmm. in his characters. So I would have liked to have seen him. Or Hugh Bonneville. I don't know if you know who he is. A lot of people will know Hugh Bonneville from Downton Abbey, if you're a fan mm -hmm. of that show. He plays, I think it's Lord Grantham. If I'm not mistaken, I don't really watch the show all that much. Um, but also, I feel like a lot of people might know him as Mr. Brown from the Paddington movies. Oh, nice. He plays the dad. Hugh Bonneville, I think, has a great voice. Now, going back to 2009, I don't know that Hugh Bonneville necessarily was very well known in 2009. Right. So, because, I mean, that's always part of it. The casting, they 
they wanted a big name, obviously. Mm-hmm. Someone, a big actor. And so they got George Clooney, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I went with Hugh Grant. Because if you're looking for somebody who has a big name, obviously Hugh Grant ticks all those boxes, right? Um, Hugh Bonneville, not so much. But again, he has like that great, rich, strong sounding voice. Mm-hmm. And he's got like real comic timing, I think. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I think, something that is needed in this character. And for me, George Clooney, if people ever describe him as funny, <laughs> like it baffles me because he's just more like smug. <laughs> Smug or like a, almost like a wry sort of yeah. sense of humor. And like to me, George Clooney doesn't have that comic sort of timing at all. Mm-hmm. Hugh Grant, I think, has it. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those were my picks for Mr. Fox. Great. I don't know Hugh Bonneville. Uh, I haven't seen the Paddington movies, although they are on my list. So I'm going to have to look him up afterwards to hear his voice. <laughs> um, for me, I did consider going with all British actors as well, but I ended up finding American actors that I wanted for this role. So um, I wanted somebody with like a, a distinct voice, a strong voice, a suave voice, and a big name. Because like you were saying, that's definitely something that they wanted for this role. So my first choice is Denzel Washington. Yeah, I think he can be really suave. That's the word that I was thinking of when I was casting, when I was casting him. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I don't know. He's not like somebody who you first think of as funny, of course, like pretty much every movie role he's done is dramatic. But I still think that he could really manage to put a spin on that character that I think he could make it fun, not necessarily funny. He has a really, a really lovely voice. Yeah, he does. And I also had a couple other choices. This is where I like wanted to play a little more. I don't care if they're famous enough or whatever, but I absolutely love the voice of Paul F. Tompkins. I listen to him on podcasts all the time. And also, like, I've seen him act in various things, too. He's never had any kind of leading roles, of course. Oh, I should probably, probably a lot of people listening don't know who he is. So he is, at this point, primarily known as a podcaster. His current podcast, he's hosting, like, a Star Trek podcast called The Pod Directive. He has one called Stay of Homekins with his wife that they started during the pandemic. He's on Comedy Bang Bang pretty frequently. And then as far as, like, his... TV roles or film roles. He was the voice of Mr. Peanut Butter in BoJack Horseman. And I do think that was a pretty popular show. People probably might know his voice at this point. And if you only know him as Mr. Peanut Butter, it probably would be a stretch to think of him as Mr. Fox. But he's a really versatile person. He's definitely, like to me, crazy underrated. He doesn't look like a typical leading man. I think he's very handsome, but he doesn't look like an American leading man in Hollywood. So he definitely doesn't get those kinds of roles. But that's the fun of the animated role is that, to me, there's no reason why he isn't a leading man. And so, you know, have him be a fox. (laughs) 
So, um, yeah. And then my third choice, <laughs> I went a little crazy, is is an impossibility because this person passed away before 2009. So we're just going to have to imagine. <laughs> so why did you cast them if they're dead? Because they <laughs> their voice is perfect for this role. And that is Phil. They could never have been in it. Yeah. Use your imagination. <laughs> this that is... almost feels kind of morbid. Oh, my yeah. gosh. No, it's like dream casting. It doesn't matter if they're alive or dead. Like, I'm not, we're not making this movie in 2009. Well, if in that case, why haven't I been casting dead actors? Like, why haven't you? Three years. (laughs) 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 Okay, I can't wait to hear this. Well, it's Phil Hartman, who has, to me, like one of my favorite voices of all time. And I think he would have been so fun and he just would have been absolutely perfect. And yeah, it's impossible, but let's just imagine it because it's fun to imagine that. Oh, geez. Rest in peace, Phil Hartman. Agreed. Yeah. So yeah, those are my three choices. Well, let's say that's your two choices. I'm not taking it away. That's my three choices. The ghost of Phil Hartman couldn't (laughs) come back and be a voice in fantastic Mr. Fox. (laughs) Those are the rules. I'm going to start casting like Jimmy Stewart. Oh boy. (laughs) Like let's, let's just resurrect all these, all these people. If that's the direction we're going to start going in, that's hilarious. I hope you do start casting Jimmy Stewart in some things. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Hey, let's, why not cast Jimmy Stewart as Mr. Fox? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Cary Grant, uh, Bing Cosby. Who else is dead? (laughs) Uh, Cary Grant would have been actually a pretty great Mr. Fox. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I think the pandemic, we all have pandemic brains. Nobody's going to notice this. Okay. Well, I've lost it apparently. So, (laughs) (laughs) so should we move on to Felicity Fox? Yeah. Okay, so Felicity Fox was voiced by Meryl Streep, who, listen, I have nothing against Meryl (laughs) Streep. I think she is an absolutely fantastic actor, Mm -hmm. but I also think that, I mean, she's in everything, (laughs) right? To me, it's like everywhere you look, Meryl Streep is in everything, so... Why did she need to be in this? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't understand. I didn't get why she was cast. I don't especially think that she has a great voice. Mm -hmm. I think she can do a lot of different voices Mm -hmm. and accents. I think she's very talented at that. But I was a little surprised, to be honest, that she was cast as, uh, Felicity Fox. So again, I wanted some British talent. My first choice was Helena Bonham Carter. <gasps> nice. I love her. I think one of the greatest voices that she has done was in The Corpse Bride. Right. Yeah. As Emily, Emily the Corpse. <laughs> um, and she just has like this fantastic theatrical voice. She has so much character. And I really could have, I could hear her voice in this role. Mm -hmm. 
totally. Um, And then I think it would have been really interesting to hear her act opposite Hugh Grant or Hugh Bonneville, either one. Mm -hmm. Hugh Grant, I think, would have been really interesting. Uh, My second choice was Tracy Ullman. Oh, nice. I mean, hello. (laughs) Tracy Ullman can do anything. Yeah. (laughs) She could have made Felicity Fox into anything that they wanted. Oh, my gosh, yeah. She's, yeah, like, she is so incredibly talented and diverse with the mm-hmm. characters that she's able to do. Like, she literally could have taken Felicity Fox in any direction. And, yeah. like, what a missed opportunity, yeah. in my opinion, that she was not given this role. Like, I think she would have just, like, she would have kicked it out of the, the park, definitely. So... Those were my two choices. Oh, I love it. I came so close to casting Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, I I had a couple, like, I also have three choices for this role. And two of them I had already, like, set my mind on. And so I, the last one I was looking for a British actress. And I landed on Kristen Scott Thomas, um, who I really enjoy. She is... Recently, she was Mrs. Danvers in Rebecca, the 2020 movie version of it. She was Belinda in season two of Fleabag. And she's in The English Patient. She was Catherine, Four Weddings and a Funeral. She is a really strong actor. She is always like so good in everything I see her in. And I am always shocked at how like she's not... She's not unknown, of course, but she's not a household name. Like, I bet there are a lot of people listening who don't know who she is off the top of their head. And that's a shame because I really think she's amazing. And I think she would have been, like, just a really dignified (laughs) Felicity Fox. So, yeah. So you would have had an American Mr. Fox and a British Felicity Fox? Yes. One of those foxes had to cross an ocean. (laughs) interesting yeah (laughs) and then the other two choices were americans the first one that i thought of she was actually the first person i thought of was halle berry i think that you won't necessarily know her by her voice but she has a really nice voice (laughs) she does yeah halle berry does have a, a really nice voice yeah And of course, we all know that she's super talented. So I think she also would have been just great in that role. Meryl Streep wasn't missing anything, in my opinion. It was almost like it was a waste of Meryl Streep. I don't know how to describe it. But yeah, I thought it was kind of weird that she was there too. But I feel like Halle Berry would have just been more... I don't even know what the word is. Because it's not... Like, if you're just comparing actors... I'm sure there most people will say Meryl Streep is a better actor, but I, I don't know. I feel like Halle Berry would have been a better choice in this role. Yeah, but it's voice acting. So it is, I and that's really different. That, that those, I don't think you can compare, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think it's you're going by the merit of how their voices sound, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you're... That's sort of, it's different criteria, I think, that you're looking at. Yeah, that's a really good point. So on that point, my third pick is somebody who I love her, I love her voice. Um, Is she alive or dead? She's (laughs) actually, uh, she's not alive. (laughs) And she... What? What? (laughs) This is... 
let me have this, Janet. <laughs> when did we start doing this? I don't understand. When did it start being that we could like cast dead actors? Well, I didn't receive that memo. Uh, oh boy. Back in like one of our earliest episodes, I didn't cast a dead actor, but I cast somebody who like it did not make sense to have them in that role in that time. So I, I remember saying to you, like, imagine this movie was made 30 years earlier or something like that. So, like, I don't know. I'm just being imaginative. I don't yes. see it as that big a deal. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I've right. really thrown you. Sorry. Right. that cloud of imagination from heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. So I will never cast a dead actor again, but this is my last one. I cast Lynn Thigpen, who she was probably best known as the chief on Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. She was in Godspell. She was on Broadway. She was a stage actor many times over. I saw a movie from the 80s recently called The Warriors, and it's not an animated movie by any means, but you don't see her face at, at any point. She's a DJ. And so you hear her throughout the movie kind of like occasionally narrating what's happening and stuff like that. And I just her voice is so great and distinct and interesting. And I think that I think she would have been a great Mrs. Fox if she hadn't passed away in 2003. Wow. You're like on some serious hallucinogenics. <laughs> I want whatever you have. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I like honestly, I don't know who that um, who that actor is. Okay. So definitely send me their name and stuff, just so that I can Google them and look up their stuff, just so that I can hear yes their voice. But yeah. I'll post a clip of her speaking on yes, our social media. <laughs> You'll have to. Yeah. All right. Look, I won't cast dead actors again. I just thought that this was such a fun opportunity to like pick people whose voices are amazing and who, like who I just love. Well, here's the thing. If I'm not necessarily opposed to casting dead actors, I guess. I don't know. But, like, just next time let me know that you're going to do that because then I could have done that too. Okay. Well, but, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to do that in a live-action movie because usually – like, I'm not going to put Cary Grant in a 2015 movie or whatever. because. Why? Because they have a certain look and they look of their time. But that's why I think, to me, it felt different with a voice actor to be able to no, do that. No, it's not because he's dead in 2009 just as he's dead in 2015. So, yeah, like... But I can imagine their voice in the role. Oh, okay. Well, again, like I said, I want to know what hallucinogenics you're you're taking because I can't, I don't know, I can't sit here and go, oh, yeah, I could totally picture this dead person's voice in 2009. You know what? I wish I could give you something because... How do you, how are you not able to imagine someone's voice in a role? Like, it doesn't well, I matter. I imagine it, but it doesn't make any sense for, <laughs> like, what, for our purposes. I mean, I'll, you can have it. Like, I'm not going to fight you because, <laughs> sure, I mean, let your creativity go completely rampant. I will, 
I'm never one to like stomp on that, but <laughs> but I feel like you just stomped on it. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds. Yeah, it just sounds really far out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't realize that we were actually like applying to be Hollywood casting agents. <laughs> this is like just for fun, and I felt like I could okay imagine it. So sure. So you were saying you did a lot of research on this. Did you happen to? Because I didn't find this. <laughs> did you happen to find out why Meryl Streep or, or how they got involved? Well, in terms of. George Clooney, like I was saying earlier, Wes Anderson said that when he was writing it, they instantly wanted to cast American. And he said that he just always liked him. He always liked George Clooney for the role. And I got the sense that he reached, like, he didn't specifically say how Meryl Streep got involved. But uh, just from the little that he did say, it just sounds like, you know, Wes Anderson is super connected to all these people, right? He uh, is? And, I'm sorry? He is? Well, Wes Anderson is very connected, right? I guess now, but in 2009, like, his stuff was still very, very indie. And he kind of had... Like, to me, he has that cast that he always works with, the people who appear in pretty much all of his movies. But Meryl Streep doesn't feel like she's part of that clan. So, like, nor George Clooney. It just was interesting to me that, like, how were they able to get them? But I guess it had a huge budget. So that's part of it. Yeah. But he, Wes Anderson is, has always been connected. I mean, um... Like, his projects are not necessarily super commercial, or at least they weren't. Like, niche in the sense that his audience is niche. Okay. But in terms of, like, the way he works, like, he knows everybody. Hmm. And he kind of always has, like, when you look at the roots of who his, like, who he's always been friends with. Hmm. Yeah. And who he always works with, like, Scott Rudin has always been one of his producers. Scott Rudin is like mm. like the tentacles, right? Okay. They reach out. Okay. Yeah, so interesting. I would guess that that's you know, it just came out that that he was working on this and right. I'm sure that he was connected somehow with with Meryl Street. Mm. Would be my guess. Yeah, okay. I was pretty impressed at like because at the time this came out, stop motion was just not very common. Like, I feel like it has seen some resurgence here and there, but it was kind of a bold move to go that way. And like everything in the movie is stop motion except for one scene that's CGI, which is the flooding of the mine. But yeah, I, I it's just really nice to look at. Like, that sounds so silly. But really, like, it's just a beautiful movie to look at. I love the look of it. I love the feel of it. I I was really impressed from the first time I saw it. It's super well done. Absolutely. And, you know, the amount of work that (laughs) went into it, like just in reading about it and in doing my research, like you really start to understand all the work, all the labor that goes into something like this. It's 
it's absolutely monumental. It's wild that, you know, when you think of, like, just the amount of hours, the amount of work that goes into something like this, it's really staggering. Yeah, it really is. And they made some interesting choices. Like, they had the voice actors, instead of recording in a studio, they recorded their dialogue on location. So, like, sometimes it was, like, in a forest or in an attic, in a stable. (laughs) Like, I think that's a really interesting choice, too. So Fantastic Mr. Fox was the first book that Wes Anderson had as a child. Yes. So it has a really special place in his heart, which is lovely. I've never read the book, but I guess the source material makes up about one hour of the running time of the movie, and then the rest was written by Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach. Anything? Um, I I mean, I saw. St- I'm really hesitant to tell this story that I read. I don't know if it's true. It's also like I don't know how I feel about it, but I, I'm gonna tell it. <laughs> um, Meryl Streep says that she saw a fox outside a central London apartment she was staying in. They stared at each other for twelve minutes, and mesmerized by this experience, she used it as an inspiration for her performance in this movie. Yeah, I did see that story. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was not 12 minutes. <laughs> Do you know how long 12 minutes is if you're just sitting and staring at someone or something? <laughs> so now you're saying that Meryl Streep is a liar? I'm saying she probably exaggerated on this. Oh, okay. <laughs> were you there, Lucia? <laughs> that, were you the fox? No. Did and also... Phil Hartman there? But, like, can you imagine staring at a fox and saying, now I can voice a fox character? That To me, they're unconnected. I don't know. I don't know why that bothers you so much, to be honest. (laughs) Who cares? Even if it's not true. She's just saying something. She's just making it. She's an actor. You think that everything they say is true? But even if it's it's not true? They sound good on a press tour. If it's not true, it's even worse because it does not make sense how that would inform her performance. Neither does casting a dead man. That doesn't make sense either, but you did it, Lucia. Yeah, I did it on a podcast. That doesn't make sense. You're the last last person to be pointing a finger at Meryl Streep (laughs) and her Fox story. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I don't know. I saw that story and I was just, I didn't really, I saw it, but I was like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. I don't know why it bugged me. It feels yeah. pretentious and oh, okay. and like a lie. <laughs> well. well, do you want to know the ratings for this movie? Sure. Tell, tell me and our listeners the rating. Well, as you mentioned before, it was critically acclaimed. So on IMDb, It has an 83% from 34 critics, which is great. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 93% from 243 reviewers. So, yeah, critics love it. Yeah, definitely. Like every, I didn't read one single bad review. Oh, nice. About it. So, yeah, it was very, very critically lauded for sure. I meant to look up again, like, what was the order of Wes Anderson's films? Because, like, this was probably, what, his fourth, fifth? I don't know why. 
Well, he was just really, like, established at this point, and he had such a distinct style. And while this is animated and it's different, it is interesting that he had reached the point, because I wonder if, so he has a new movie coming out soon, who knows, I I think it's done. I think they've just been kind of waiting it out. But like we were saying early on in the podcast is, you know, it's almost like it's not okay to like him anymore. It's not cool to like him or whatever, like, or it's boring or too easy. I don't know what the reason is, but it almost feels like you kind of have to be embarrassed to say you like Wes Anderson now. So I'm curious, like, it's nice to see that all the reviews were positive. I wonder if that'll still happen. I don't know. I mean, you know what? I will be honest. I don't care like whether people think it's not cool or not to like him. Yeah. Like I like his work. I think he's talented. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not cool, to, there's a lot of things that are, you could say that about anything, that everything has its day. I think great filmmaking stands the test of time. Yeah. There are films that, you know, you could say that about other films that are really old or old filmmakers or whatever, right? Like, I'm sure people have said that about, I'm going to use Alfred Hitchcock as an example, right? Like, yeah, they're old movies. And maybe some people might be like, well, it's not cool to say that you like old movies. (laughs) Well, I don't care what you think. You know what I mean? (laughs) When it comes to movies, it's very subjective, right? I think a great movie is going to stand the, the test of time. It's great art, right? I totally and, agree. I Yeah, and that's what I think about Wes Anderson. Like, you, whether you like his work or not, I think one thing is for certain. He definitely has an eye for detail. His yeah. movies are all so detailed. Mm-hmm. The cinematography is always really beautiful. The visuals that you get from them, the storytelling. It might not be for everyone, the storytelling, mm-hmm. for sure. I think his work has definitely become a little more mainstream over the last couple of films that he's done. Right. If anything, I think I've liked them less as he's become more mainstream. Mm-hmm. But his films are all like... His attention to detail is unprecedented. I mean, there's very few filmmakers that you can put next to him and say that they're as detailed as Wes Anderson is. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like I said, I don't care what people think, like if it's considered a very white thing to like. (laughs) Well, whatever. I mean, I like all sorts of films. Right. Wes Anderson is not necessarily like the only type of film that I like. I like all sorts of film. I like all sorts of filmmakers. He just happens to be one of my favorites. Right. So I'm not going to apologize for liking his work, for liking the fact that he I think he is very talented. I don't think that that it's necessarily that we have to apologize for that or that we should feel bad or embarrassed. That's just my personal take on it so like yeah I mean like I said his more mainstream work I'm not like super into because Wes Anderson to me is now like a lot of people like him yeah 
a lot of people like his work. He's become more mainstream, which sure. actually has made it less appealing to me. Like, I'll never forget going to see the Grand Budapest hmm. Hotel. And that was the first West Anderson film that I had ever gone to where the movie theater was like packed. Yeah. Like, I had to look for a seat because I couldn't find one. It was so full. Mm-hmm. And I got really upset. <laughs> Because it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, Wes Anderson movies are usually, I can go, and there's no one in the theater, and that's how I like it. Yeah, I know. And I like watching it, like, with maybe one other person, or maybe there's three other people in the theater, right? Mm -hmm. And suddenly it was like, all these people were there, laughing at things that weren't even funny. Oh, no. I was getting so angry, (laughs) like, watching that movie, with other people. And I mean, I love that movie. I think it's it's really well done. Mm-hmm. But I think it's definitely one of his most commercial films. Oh, no sure. doubt. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, like, that's the thing. For the longest time, Wes Anderson was like this, I don't know, he was like this sort of niche filmmaker mm-hmm. that not a lot of people liked. And I think that was one of the things that I liked about his work right. so much. And the minute he started becoming more mainstream, it was like, no, like everybody else likes him now. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that says something about me. Maybe I'm pretentious, (laughs) like Meryl Streep and her Fox story. I don't know. Well, Um, it didn't bother you, so maybe. (laughs) I don't care. I don't care. I'm all pretentious. I really don't give a shit, right? But yeah, so I don't know. Like that's the thing about... Wes Anderson's movies for me has always been that they haven't had a huge following. And so I think that's part of the beauty of his movies for me anyway. Yeah. The Grand Budapest Hotel was the last Wes Anderson movie I saw in the theater. I think he only had Isle of Dogs after that. But yeah, I also like I had almost identically the exact same experience as you as for previous movies of his, you know, there'd be a handful of people at the theater. And then this one was jam packed. And yeah, people like laughing and reacting and whatever. And it, you know, for a lot of times, I enjoy that I enjoy having the communal experience um, with, you know, when I would see Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> I liked it more because of the people around us that were laughing too. Like it was a more fun experience that way, but oh, okay. it somehow had the opposite effect with Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> right, right. So while I'm really looking forward to the French Dispatch, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, for various reasons, I probably won't see it in a theater. That'll be one that will just be more enjoyable to watch at home. Yeah, I doubt. I think the days of well. watching movies in a theater are probably <laughs> over, Lucia. <laughs> Uh-oh, I need to find a new career. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's take our final break, and then we will come back for our final segment. This episode of Repodcasting is brought to you by the Northwest Fest International Documentary Festival, running online from May 6th to 16th. Even though Northwest Fest can't happen in a movie theater this year, they've still put together an outstanding lineup of some of the year's best docs. In fact, this year there are a whopping 40 feature films, plus 40 short films, available for viewing to anyone in Alberta. This is your chance to stream some of the hottest new docs from Canada and abroad, many of which are Canadian, international, and even world premieres. 
All access streaming passes, ticket packs, and single tickets are available now at northwestfest.ca. And now back to the show. So it is time for... Hold me close, young Tony Danza. It's time for Hold Me Close, Young Tony Danza, the segment where we cast Tony Danza into one of the roles in this movie. So, Janet, how did you do at fitting Tony Danza into this movie? Well, I gave Tony the Mr. Fox role. Because I wanted him to have the lead role. Yeah. So. That's that's great. That's where I put Tony. Well, that is also where I put Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, of course. Fair, he did he get the lead, right? For sure. And you know, I was like while I was watching it, none of the other roles are meaty enough for Tony, I think. Well, you know, the other role that I actually considered was casting him as um the rat. Oh uh, the role that Will Willem Defoe voiced. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I could see Tony as Mr. Fox, but then I was like, I also wouldn't mind seeing him as kind of like a bad guy, like a sneaky bad guy. Yeah, a very bad guy. That rat is mean. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought for a second, but then I was like, no, I'm going to give him the lead role. Yeah. And Mr. Fox feels like a good role for him. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure he's the patriarch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we always cast him as the dad. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, Okay, so that about does it for Fantastic Mr. Fox for this month. And next month, ooh, I haven't told Janet yet, but I picked the film Colossal, starring Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis, for us to recast for next month. And okay, I thought maybe there'd be like some reaction of I've seen it, I haven't seen it. (laughs) I don't even know that. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought we've talked about this movie before. Okay, so this will be interesting then. So that's the movie that we'll see next month. It is available on Amazon Prime and on CBC Gem for anybody who uh, wants to watch and recast along with us. So if you have any suggestions for movies that we should recast or any comments about our casting choices, like let Lucy cast dead people or don't cast dead people. It's stupid. You can email us at repodcasting at gmail.com and you can find us on all the social media things at repodcasting. So thank you, as always, Janet, for joining me. Thanks, Lucia. Bye. Bye.